Today, Andrew Vuksic shares his journey from Wall Street to the mission field in Croatia. I'm your host, Paul Horrocks, and this is the Biblical Courage Podcast. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. Visit biblicalcourage.com to learn more or sign up for our newsletter. I'm here with Andrew Vuksic, who is the president and founder of Gospel on the Go, as well as pastor of the Lighthouse of Light Churches in both Deerfield Beach, Florida, and Zagreb, Croatia. That is quite a commute, Florida to Croatia. So, Andrew, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Uh, truly appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Well, what I want to do is just start and have you give us a high-level overview of your ministry and the different things you're doing in both Florida and Croatia. Well, um, my wife and I started Gospel on the Go Ministries back in um, 2007, 2008. We actually moved to Croatia, and we uh, planted uh, a few churches there. We started a seminary there, and uh, we were able to train up a, a group of men uh, who are now continuing to uh, run the ministry there. They tell me they don't need me as much. So. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. And I tell them South Florida is nicer. <laughs> so <laughs> we have no winter. So um, we've been, uh, Danielle and I have been back actually a um, little bit before the pandemic began. And uh, so we've got a couple house churches down here, but uh, we continue to uh, minister I do uh, back to uh, the people there in Croatia and Macedonia right now via technology, uh, but we're hoping that as things slowly start to open up, we can continue to take mission teams there uh, and be able to come alongside and, and serve the, the men who are now leading things there full-time. Amazing. One of the things we like to do with the Biblical Courage podcast is just have you give us a short overview of how you became a Christian. Well, um, I uh, went to college down here in South Florida. I played baseball. My God at that time was my baseball bat, <laughs> and I worshipped my bat until, unfortunately, it, my God let me down. I thought I was going to go play pro ball, uh, but the professional scouts had other ideas. Okay. So uh, I then went into the brokerage business where suddenly that became my new God. Uh, by God's grace, uh, I hit a hiccup rather quickly a few years into my desire to be the next, you know, uh, guru of Wall Street. I hit a hiccup and it really, that's when the Lord and his grace took me to where I needed to be. It was there that I realized my spiritual bankruptcy, my con my complete um, depravity before God, and understanding for the first time in my life that I was uh, a depraved sinner who was under the just judgment of God. And it was there in June of 1989 that the Lord, in His grace, saved me. Uh, I stayed in the brokerage business uh, longer, uh, formed a partnership um, down here in South Florida, but we were doing things the right way. And then eventually my passion for business started to decrease, even though the business was doing very well. Um, my passion for business started to decrease in my passion for 
the Bible and teaching the Bible started to increase. Um, I went to seminary uh, uh, at Reformed Theological Seminary at the same time while I was still in the business for a while. And then eventually uh, a pastor down here in a large church um, uh, called me at the lunch one time and said, hey, what's it going to take to have you leave your business and come work full time for the church? And so uh, I ended up doing that. Uh, and I've been in full-time ministry for the last, I guess, 20, 21 years. So you gave up the brokerage business for the ministry. I'm guessing the ministry is not paid as well. Well, it was interesting. Uh, the question he actually asked me was, um, how much do I need to pay you in order for you to leave your business and come work for the church. And I kind of just sidestepped the question because, you know, immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, mm. it's not, no, <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not going to work. So I actually, you know, I just said, okay, just, you know, I'm flattered. Uh, just, um, and I was still in seminary. Uh, and I said, let me, you know, just spend a little time, you know, praying about it. And, and so I took, it was probably about a four week period. And I finally called him and said, okay, I'm ready. Uh, and he said, don't you want to know what you're going to get paid? I said, no, we'll talk about that later. Don't worry about it. And uh, I remember when I got my first two checks from the church, <laughs> I kind of looked at them, you know, and I went, huh. So I kind of just kept them and did not deposit them until <laughs> they accumulated a little more. <laughs> but let me tell you, um, as I eventually told my pastor, uh, uh, after being about a year or two in the ministry, I said, you know, I would have taken this job for free. He said, thanks. Had you told me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. You didn't tell him. Right. Yeah. So we stayed, I stayed at that church for about seven years. And then that's, uh, when Danielle and I ended up moving to Croatia and we've been doing that since. Well, it's all about the treasures in heaven, right? Yes, it, it it's the, yes, it it's is. like being a really long-term value investor. Right. There you go. As I like to tell people, maybe the pay is not the best here on earth, but the retirement package is great. Forget about it, right? That's, that's a great way to put it. So for listeners who don't know, tell everyone, where is Croatia? Croatia is in Europe. It's uh, close to Italy, um, Germany, Austria, in that area. Uh, Croatia is a country that used to be under... Uh, a, a larger country called Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia basically was under a dictatorship, a uh, gentleman by the name of Tito. And Yugoslavia had uh, several republics within the larger nation, Yugoslavia. You had Croatia, you had Serbia, you had Bosnia, Montenegro, uh, and so forth. Well, after Tito died, and uh, when the uh, communism fell, each of these republics uh, decided to try to go and uh, have their own independent countries. Well, that led to a very large and brutal war, if you recall, back in the 90s, That's the right. Balkan War. Um, and so um, we ended up living for, I don't know, since 2008 in the capital city of Croatia called Zagreb. And, um, you know, we obviously were able to see a lot of the devastating consequences of the war and what ended up happening. And um, 
it humbles you. Yeah. When you think about what people went through, what they fought for. In fact, our uh, main leader right there, now they're in Croatia, actually served on the front lines. And uh, I never asked him any questions. You know, I didn't feel that would be my place. But eventually he opened up. I mean, he when he first came to our church, he came uh, as a non-believer um, and really struggling with PTSD. Wow. And uh, I mean, it was it was tough. But what God has done in and through his life is amazing. And Paul, you'll be happy to know that he is our main leader dealing specifically with the Roma in the Roma Gypsy Village. Oh, wow. Good for him. And this was a guy who you know, did not really think highly of the Roma. They didn't think very highly of him. And how that has been brought together by our Lord is stunning. Again, that's just God's sovereign grace. And to see his love for them and their love for him and how the Roma kids are hugging. I mean, he's a big guy and, you know, war veteran, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ex-biker, the whole thing. And it's just stunning to see. So we praise God for that. That's wonderful. Jesus can change hearts. Yeah. Well, before we get into the Roma stuff, I just want to ask, what made you decide to become a missionary in Croatia? You know, my parents actually are from former Yugoslavia. My father was born in... Um, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. My mother was born in an area in, in Serbia. They ended up coming here to the States, uh, and I was born here. And what ended up happening, Paul, is when the Balkan War had had uh, started, um, I let me just back up. My freshman year of college was the first time I ever went over there. It was still Yugoslavia met my cousins for the first time, and really had a, a really nice time. Fast forward then, uh, several years later when the war started, uh, I was in the brokerage business, and you know my parents were just filling me in on everything that was happening and just, just the atrocities. And I just felt this burden to go over there and help my family. So I would take clothes and money and things I could do to try to just help them because everything was destroyed. Um, and I guess the Lord kind of used that as the seed in my heart where after the war had ended, after I'd left the brokerage business and started in full-time ministry, and after I got married, eventually that seed kind of mushroomed and it became a passion of you help them earlier with physical things. Now go help them when it comes to spiritual things. Terrific. Well, I know you told me I was over there uh, with you back in 2014 and, and just met you because I was just traveling with a friend and uh, you told us a really fun story about how you got engaged right before you went to Croatia. So um, just just tell the audience um, how that went down and how uh, how long you dated your wife before you guys got engaged. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'll give the Cliff Notes version, okay. which my wife always gets upset with me because I only give the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> if you want the 
a elongated version. You can have her on your okay, podcast. Terrific. But Danielle actually was uh, serving in the church uh, down here in South Florida with me. Um, she actually served in the department I ran. She and several other people. Um, She had served for several years, had done a great job. She kind of coordinated things when it came to local missions, such as prison ministry, homeless ministry, and so forth. National missions, we would go to various different places when there were earthquakes, tornadoes, things like that. And then she also coordinated uh, international mission trips. So she had been serving in, in, in the ministry I oversaw and doing a great job. And um, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but uh, she had never been married. I had never been married. And uh, the Lord started to really um, work on my heart when it came to Danielle. I had never been in love before. And so I didn't know what was happening. Did I have like maybe some bad pizza the night before what was happening? (laughs) And so I didn't say anything and, um, just kept praying and praying and just, you know, really going through this for months. And then eventually we're on a mission stream, a mission trip down in Haiti, a trip she had coordinated a trip that I was overseeing and preaching down there. And, uh, one night I was preaching in front of thousands of Haitians. It was on TV and and radio. And after I preached, I brought her up and told everybody there saying, you know, she deserves a lot of credit for everything that we're doing down here because she coordinates everything. And somehow I transitioned into proposing to her and, uh, (laughs) she almost had a heart attack. (laughs) So, So at this point you've never gone on a date. Never. She yes. had no idea that I had feelings for her. I had no idea that she had feelings for me. And uh, s- people ask me all the time, well, what happens if she had said no? I said, well, I had a sign in the right behind the pulpit that I was going to hold up had she said no and said, hey, are there any Haitian women who want to move to South Florida <laughs> and marry an American guy? <laughs> well, I do have to say that is the ultimate act of courage, asking someone to marry you when you've never actually been on a date in front of thousands of people. So, yeah. But our first date is when we came back. Um, I, the night we came back was a Saturday night. I had to preach at that church in ordination service. One of the guys in seminary was being, uh, who graduated seminary was being ordained. I preached that. Afterwards, we went on our first date, Cheesecake Factory. She called her parents and said, are you sitting down? Yes. Um, I'm engaged. Her mother goes, I didn't know you were dating anybody. <laughs> so. That's great. And so it was an act of courage by her as well, because she did say yes in Haiti. She Haiti. did say yes. She did say yes. I, I keep telling her, look, I mean, uh, it was either her or one of those Haitian women sitting in the <laughs> in, in the service that night. <laughs> well, that's a lot of fun. And so the two of you then moved to Croatia together. Yep. We got married. And uh, shortly thereafter, I think it was two or three months afterwards, we moved to Croatia. Didn't know the language. Um, really, didn't, we didn't know anybody. Our family was uh, not in that area. And so uh, we, uh, but it was good, Paul, because it really allowed us to really build on our marriage. It was just the two of us, you know, and, uh, you know, you, 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 Looking back, had both of us stayed here and served in that large church like we had been, we were doing so much ministry, running around, doing a ton of stuff. You know, I'm not sure that 
we would have had as much time or taken as much time mm. as a married couple, newly married couple to really work on the marriage. But uh, so I think God, again, in his sovereignty, providentially had us over there. And that first year of marriage, first year in Croatia, we didn't know anybody. You know, I really couldn't do much ministry. I was trying, but it certainly was much slower as compared to our ministry in South Florida. And so how do you get plugged in? You go to a foreign land, you don't know anybody, you're still learning the language. How do you get plugged into people to ultimately minister to them? Well, Danielle would go to the grocery store, couldn't say a word, and would look for somebody who worked there who might be able to speak a little English. She would try to find somebody who was a little bit younger because, again, they learn English in school. And eventually that person ended up coming to the church that we had started on our balcony of our apartment. And then another person, and then another person, and then that person would invite somebody, and that person who came was a war veteran named Kresho who was dealing with PTSD and now is our main leader there in Croatia. I mean, it was all of God's grace. I mean, there was nothing that, you know, my experience serving in a large church here in South Florida, I could take none of that there. Uh, we were starting from scratch and Croatia is a, a, a very, very Catholic country. I mean, you think about the Balkan war, it was really a war amongst three different religious groups, mm. Serbians, primarily Orthodox, Croatians, primarily Catholic, Bosnians, primarily uh, Muslims. Okay. And so here I go years later as a Protestant pastor and uh, cannot speak the language and I'm going to tell these Catholics how to do church. Wow. So it's basically disciple making. Yeah. Just one, one person at a time, Paul, one person yeah. at a time. That's great. That's, that's the, uh, the model Jesus gave us. So at some point you're over there and you start going to these Roma villages. Yep. So tell people who are the Roma people in Europe and just how did you get engaged with them? Well, um, actually, the credit goes to one of our seminary students. As I said, we planted our first church there in Zagreb. It started on the balcony of our apartment. Eventually, we would move to another place, another place. And eventually, uh, you know, we started to um, we started a seminary there. We started, had some students start coming. And one of our seminary students, who eventually became our youth pastor, he was actually the one who recommended the Roma to me. Um, at that time, we were working just with orphans, uh, orphanages, probably about 20 minutes from where our church was. Uh, these are kids who were removed from their homes, uh, Croatians, Serbians, and Muslims. Um, because you have to remember, even though the war had ended maybe, what, 15, 20 years prior to us coming, it hadn't ended. Hmm. Because there were so many consequences. I mean, many of the men who had served in the war, again, Muslims, Croatians, and Serbians, were dealing with just tremendous, tremendous um, problems because of the war. And so you'd have alcoholism, you'd have abuse, even on the children. Uh, so the children would be removed from their homes and were put in these like foster care, almost orphanage type things. Well, we started working there 
And uh, it was maybe about a year after that, that our youth pastor came up to me and said, Hey, have you ever thought about working with the Roma people? I'm like, who are the Roma people? I had no idea. Um, basically the Roma gypsies who um, I think they have their, their origin, what I understand uh, from India. And over the centuries, they've kind of just roamed throughout Europe. Um, and um, they don't have the best reputation. Um, they are not um, loved by or even accepted by um, the uh, natives of the various European countries. Um, and so the Roma just would settle um, and they're not educated. They don't get jobs. Uh, they basically are funded by the government based upon how many children they have. And um, the additional financial support that they get comes from doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Okay. And so as the, our youth pastor was explaining this to me, I said, okay. And he, he talked about the children. You know, and talked about how, you know, the door is wide open. You know, we would have the opportunity to go. I said, great, let's do it. So he had organized, there was a, a Roma community, a small little Roma community right and, there in Zagreb, and, the and capital. Des describe one of these communities that, that what the living conditions are like. Right. So huh, brutal, just brutal. The one in Zagreb, which was in the city, was actually a little better, Paul, compared to what you had seen. Um, because I was in the big city and, um, they, they go out and they just sit on the street corners and beg and they'll carry their little babies at the, at the, you know, where the traffic light is. And, you know, they have even been known to maim oh. their babies in a way, because again, in their minds, they have so many and, um, you know, maim their, their babies to maybe pull on the heartstrings of people to get more money as they're begging. I mean, it, it's just, it's bad. Well, we were going to go and, and, you know, we did a clothing drive in our church. And that was interesting because when I stood up to announce, you know, to everybody, it's like, Hey, we're going to help the Roma. They looked at me like I was crazy. And really? again, I, yeah, Paul, I mean, I, I didn't know the deep seated um, hatred, not just Croatians towards Roma, but many, many people in Europe because of their bad experiences. You and I have never experienced that side of our, uh, you know what I'm saying? Cause we didn't grow up there. Sure. So, but we, you know, people in the church and that we, you know, gathering clothes and we were getting ready to go the next day. All of a sudden, the leader in that village there in Zagreb calls our youth pastors, and eh, I don't think you guys can come. Why? Big gunfight. Wow. There in that village. So we can't do that. Where are we going to go? So the youth pastor said, hey, I know a nest of gypsy villages. They're not very close to where our church is in Zagreb. They're about an hour, hour and a half outside of Zagreb in the middle of nowhere. Um. I guess there are like 12 villages, about 12,000 Roma gypsy there. I said, let's go. So we packed up the van the next day and uh, we ended up going to our first village. Paul, that's the one you went to. 
Uh, it's a small one, about two, 300 people. And my wife fell in love with it. And we started serving there. Eventually those Roma, the word got out to other Roma who were closed. They invited us because you can't just go into a village, you know, you know, us pulling in with a van, you know, Hey, here we are, <laughs> you know, uh, you have to be, you know, escorted in and escorted out at first as well. So we ended up, um, eventually from that one village, uh, launching into three more. And that's what we continue to do today. And uh, we now have Roma leaders who are under our Croatian leaders who are serving and leading and teaching the children and so forth. So it's, uh, God's been gracious, but again, I knew nothing about them. And so, you know, it's not like I thought, Hey, let's go. And we're going to do this. I had no clue where the Roma were. And when I was there, I mean, what was sort of striking to me is that a lot of people didn't have running water, that there was a well in sort of one part of this little village and people were going with buckets and taking buckets back to their house. Uh, They did all have satellite television for some reason. I remember you telling me that that the the satellite TV companies give it to them to try to meet their quotas and so forth. Exactly. So they have satellite television, but, but they don't have running water in a lot of cases. And so they weren't great. But the other thing that struck me is that they loved you, that when you would show up, I guess at this point, you'd obviously been working there for a number of years. They just loved you and your ministry and uh, the people from your church, the kids would come and crowd around you and and some of the other kids. Uh, So it was really fun to see that. uh, And it was just for me an experience of this is the least of these. And this is an example of uh, the Christian church just serving the least of these. You know, Paul, it's amazing. Again, just God in his grace, what he did. I mean, think about it. You know, Americans, we had no idea who the Roma were. Um, At that point, my Croatian language was getting better. Um, But I'm going to Roma gypsies who speak Croatian because they were born there. But it, their Croatian is not so good. So can you imagine like this, this, you know, what God brought together and then to see where the ministry is again, he gets all the glory. I mean, none of us could claim any credit. I mean, many of the adults couldn't read. We taught them how to read. How? Wow. The Bible. That's terrific. Yeah. That's that's. And and I've been told actually that uh, the early versions of Sunday school were literacy programs. Yep. And so people were using the Bible to teach people how to read. Well, a story that you told me we were over there was there was one of the Roma leaders who starts reading the Bible and gets to God's design for sex and gives you a fairly interesting revelation and, and makes some changes in his life. And I just would love to have you tell that story because I was so impressed by it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're referring to the first village we started in. I think uh, you had been to that. Uh, again, that's about 300 people. Since then, we now work with one village. This is 5,000 people. Wow. So you can imagine, I mean, it's just, it's really just amazing what the Lord's doing. But uh, his name was Doncho, or is Doncho. And uh, when I first started in that village, um, you know, we had a group of people, we'd unload the van and we, you know, Danielle was great at organizing this stuff. So she would organize the various different volunteers and we would do, they would do various different things with the kids and, you know, and, and again, the Roma were coming out of their little shack, the adults and kind of looking on like what's going on here. But eventually they start, you know what it was, Paul, we came back. 
Mm. You know, rarely do they get visitors into their village other than the police. And so they see us pulling in and, you know, looking back how naive I was, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, with the American <laughs> attitude, like, Hey, here we are, you know, um, maybe Andrew, it's better you, that you didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, because of the danger. Um, but we never had any problems. Pray again, it's just God's grace and protecting us. So, um, while the volunteers, you know, were doing all the stuff with the kids and the various different things, um, you know, I would get a little tired swinging the kids around for a half hour straight. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I'm like, I need to go teach the Bible somewhere. So I started grabbing a couple of the Roma men and we would sit under this tree on this, I don't know what kind of table it was. And um, I would just slowly start to talk to them about God. And eventually we bought them Bibles. And the gentleman you're referring to, Doncho, he was from day one in this men's group we had started. And uh, after a couple months, um, I remember one Friday we're, we're having our men's group and he stopped me and he said, Pastor, I, you know, he goes, I have to tell you, I'm living in sin. And all of a sudden my mind's going, here we go. <laughs> you know, what could this be? You know, yes. Did you kill somebody or you're about to go to jail? He said, I'm living in sin. He said, um, I have been having sex outside of marriage. I'm like, you're cheating on your wife. Don't tell me you're doing that. Don't you? He goes, no. He said, um, actually, She's not my wife. I go, wait a second. You've been with her 20 some years. You have 10 kids. What do you mean? She's not your wife. He said, we were never married before God. Wow. He said, would you marry us? And then the other men in the group said, yeah, will you do this pastor? We'll do it. And, they, and one of the guys in the group says, and we'll make sure that he honors the Lord sexually until he's officially married. That's right. He, he moved out, right? right? So they had their little system of checking up. I mean, just hilarious, sweet, right? It's just precious, you know? And um, so we ended up doing our first wedding there. And we've done many since then, but the village, the entire village showed up. They had never seen something like this. Paul, it must have been 120 degrees. We had a missions team there, right? So the mission team was all excited. They bought a dress for the bride, you yeah. know, and uh, they put makeup on her. And I remember I was in a, one of the shacks with the guys and we're praying with Doncho and I'm, you know, getting myself all dressed with my suit and everything. And we had brought a ton of food there not realizing there are no refrigerators. Oh. All the food was destroyed. Oh. So I leave the guys. I'm getting ready to get to my position. The entire village is there, as I said. And all of a sudden, one of the missions ladies calls me and says, hey, can you come in and pray with Tamara is her name before she comes out and I walked in and she's all dressed. You, you've got to see her, right? I mean, may, I've never seen her like this before. White dress. So I go to pray with her 
and I'm kind of kneeling towards her. And as I'm praying, I hear this, like this sucking noise. I'm like, what in the world's going? So I'm trying to pray, you know, and all of a sudden it wouldn't stop. So I kind of like opened my eye, my one eye, and her little baby is <laughs> being fed. Being fed. <laughs> I kind of jumped and went, oh, I mean, this is what you get there in the village. Yeah. So that was interesting. So wedding starts, and you know, I've done many weddings here in the States, and usually people are seated, right? And sure. there's kind of a distance between the people who come and the bride and 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 groom and, and the pastor. Not in this wedding. They all came. I'm telling you, they were inches away from everybody's crowding around. You're talking 300 people. Wow. It was scalding hot and it was the most glorious wedding. What an opportunity just to share God's design. It was. And since, I mean, how God used that to impact other people in the village. One guy who I actually thought was going to attack me once is now one of our leaders there. Wow. And what impacted him was that wedding. And I, the thing I loved about the story is that Doncho, when he read the Bible, he responded yep. to it. He took it seriously. Stunning. And I think, you know, so often in the U.S., people know the Bible and they just want to ignore it. And even when you're trying to bang them over the head with it, not that I'm getting physical with the Bible with anybody, but, <laughs> you know, figuratively uh, explaining it to them. So it just, it was so impressive to hear that and how that has had such an impact on that ministry, just the simple act of of following God's design for marriage. Well, and that village, um, because it's kind of small, they kind of had a Hatfield-McCoy situation for years there, mm. where Hat, the village was divided, one side of the village, and they're all related. They, they're all related. I think the village like actually started with two families. Okay. And so they're all related. Yet over the years, just, you know, like a Hatfield McCoy situation. And you know how it stopped? Doncho, on a New Year's Eve night, went to the leader on the other side. And they stood in the middle of the village. And they made peace. Wow. Good for him. Blessed are the peacemakers. And we had a missions team there shortly thereafter. And we had a big screen up in the middle of the village, chairs out there, and people are watching the Jesus video. Cops came in. They call me aside and say, what in the world is happening here? Because they're used to gunfights, getting people getting hit with bats, the whole thing. And they, the entire village ball is sitting there watching Christ on the screen. <laughs> and the one, Croatian cops, right? Yeah. They're making their rounds. And they're like, What's going on here? And the one Croatian guy says, because you know what? He says, whatever you're doing, you keep doing it. You're going to put the police out of business. <laughs> well, so, and just to follow up after that wedding, uh, again, the food was ruined. And uh, so we decided to take Doncho and his family, which are many people because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a large family. And uh, we took them to a restaurant clo- uh the closest one to the village, several miles away. And um, we wanted to treat them. And when we walked in, if you would have seen just the look on the people's faces in the restaurant, like 
what are these people doing in this restaurant? Mm -hmm. By the time we were leaving, people in that restaurant were coming up and saying, thank you what you're doing with these people. Because our Roma so represented Christ in that restaurant. And they knew, Paul. That's wonderful. That the spotlight was on them and people were looking down on them and discriminating against them. It was so incredible. God will use the weak to uh, shame the strong. That's right. So, yeah, well, I, I loved visiting the, the village and I loved your ministry and uh, just amazing stories of, of how impactful uh, just bringing the gospel to, to those villages has been. So tell us a little bit more about the ministry. What is Project Life? Project Life is the work we do with children. Um, it originally started, you know, providing really, the, we have four pillars of provision uh, where we feel that we can give the best help to a child, to give a child the best opportunity to succeed in life. First pil pillar is providing for physical needs. Second one is educational needs. Third one is emo or emotional needs. Because again, many of these children have been really scarred. And the fourth one, and obviously the most important one, are the spiritual needs. And so with these four pillars, it's kind of like we want to wrap our arms with these four pillars around a child. And hopefully, by God's grace, give this child the best opportunity to succeed in life. Um, we, st we started Project Life with the orphans. It eventually expanded to the Roma Gypsy kids. And uh, we have a high school here in South Florida that also has a Project Life club in the high school where they sponsor a Roma child. They get on Zoom with the Roma children. They teach them English. The Roma children speak, uh, teach them the Roma language. These kids here in South Florida end up going on a missions trip wow. to the villages. So it's a really interesting kind of dynamic that that is developed and actually the project life club here in south florida in this high school was started by my nephew okay who came to croatia actually his parents sent him to us because <laughs> he was going through you know what teenagers go through some challenges i said just send him to us well you know let me put him in a village one day yes. and he'll wake up well boy did he wake up and he came back and started a project life club in his high school Wow. And it's expanded and expanded. And uh, the good news is he has since gone to and graduated from the University of Alabama, the master's degree, and he lives up in your neck of the woods up huh? there in uh, New Jersey right now. Good so. for him. So you scared him straight. There you go. <laughs> I said to him, oh, you got to go to the bathroom here? Let me just show you where they go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> it's the uh, college incentive program right there. There you go. So tell us about Project Learning. Project Learning, that was really the seminary. Uh, okay. You know, people who uh, had a desire to um, really uh, get a formal education, theological education. We were able to perform a partnership with a, a seminary down here in South Florida where uh, we students had access to the teachers via online. And then I was doing a lot of teaching as well live there in Zagreb. And right before the pandemic, it was the end of 2019, we graduated uh, all of our students. And they've now, they've graduated the Master of Divinity degree, uh, fully accredited. And they've now gone out and they're doing their ministry. We've got some in London. We've got some in Macedonia, some still in Croatia. And so uh, we're excited to see how the gospel will go through their ministries. 
That's terrific. And then I'll just also ask you about Project Lighthouse. Yeah, those are the church plants. We've got a couple churches in the villages. Uh, we've got uh, some churches here in South Florida, house churches. All of our congregations are just small house church congregations. Uh, obviously, we have elders in all the congregations, and uh, um, it's Lighthouse really was the, the church plant, our first church that we planted in Croatia. Uh, it's actually Lighthouse of Life. In the Croatian language, it's Svetionik Jevota. And okay. uh, how we came up with that name, I don't know. I think it was a Croatian who recommended it. I, okay. <laughs> so it took me a while to be able to say, welcome to Svetionik Jevota. <laughs> <laughs> so we just carry that name with the house churches we planted in the villages and even the ones we've planted here in South Florida, just Lighthouse of Life. Well, it's an amazing ministry. Uh, why don't you tell everyone how they can learn more about your ministry and support your ministry? Well, uh, we are in the process of um, redoing our website, Gospel on the Go Ministries. If gospel on the go dot com. Yes, Gospel on the Go dot com, and they can go to the website and um, they can be directed, you know, to all the stuff we're doing. Um, the because you know the ministry kind of just took on a life of, obviously it was sovereignly led by our Lord. Certainly we had never planned it to look the way it did or end up being the way it is right now. We're not complaining. We're extremely grateful, but again, the Lord really uh, has shaped this, um, you know, according to his will and for his glory. Um, so with that said, we've really tried to get our website kind of to keep up with all the stuff that was, you know, working with orphans and all of a sudden with Rome and all that. So um, we hopefully, you know, during this pandemic, we took the time. We've got some some really great volunteers who are helping out. Uh, the website will be Gospel on the Go. That would be USA. And that'll explain all the different stuff that's going on in the English language. We also have Gospel on the Go Balkans. It's a dot website, yeah, which is in the Croatian language, Macedonian language, showing all the stuff we're doing there. So, uh, if you if somebody wants to go to gospelandthego.com, again, the website's not finished yet, but we've got a temporary site that can lead people to where they need to go. Um, they'll be able to find everything out. Terrific. We encourage people to go and check that out. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And thank you so much for your ministry and just your willingness to follow God's lead and uh, go places you haven't um, ministered before and, and serve people who you, you didn't expect to serve. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me. And I'm excited about your podcast. And, uh, you know, it was great uh, when you came uh, several years back. And uh, I'm glad that it is interesting to see here we are. You said you were there in 2014? Yes. And here we are, what, seven years later? Yes. Reconnecting and doing this. How great is God? Hey, God is great. The Biblical Courage podcast is supported by listeners. You can support us by going to biblicalcourage.com. While you're there, you can also sign up to receive our newsletter. That's biblicalcourage.com. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't like the podcast, keep that to yourself.